Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Well, we are back at it, everyone. Now this is this is like there's no other way to title this passage. Other than the, you know, the Red Sea splits. I mean, you you, you can, I, I tried actually, you know, I, I wrote several titles down for this and I thought, well, you're just being cute, Bob. You're just trying to be all like, hmm, there's something deeper here. There's like, whatever. It's, it's the story of the Red Sea splitting. It's the, it's what happens. It's famous. This is legendary. This is huge. And it's a miracle no matter how you, how you look at it. And I know that that there is strong debate. Where did they where did they, you know, uh, where did they cross? Did they cross in the northern portion uh, called the Sea of Reeds where the where the water's only, you know, 2 inches deep and you know, they they ran across and and they wrote it up in such a way that it looks like it was a miracle because they're trying to prop up their God to make it seem like he's more powerful than anything else. And I understand why archaeologists, you know, find the evidence they need for that to happen. And I say awesome, but even so, it's still a miracle. It's a miracle that they outran chariots and that all the chariots of the Pharaoh's army somehow drowned in two inches of water. So it's fine. If that's your miracle, go for it. Enjoy the ride. If your miracle is, you know, the the, the the sea splitting and two great big walls of water and all like then you know then you're gonna probably enjoy the rest of the story because that's the that's the the take I have on it I like I said I do understand I've studied it I don't I'm not gonna fight you on it I just think no matter how you look at it there's a miracle here and you should enjoy it enjoy the fact that God does miracles and he rescued his people and, and it's not in exclusion to the rest of the world. Again, over and over and over again, we've been through this. I don't think the Lord was trying to belittle and destroy the nation of Egypt. I think he was trying to invite the nation of Egypt to follow him. And he kept, uh, you know, he kept up with this, with, with his mercy, with his goodness. He kept up with these, with these constant invitations, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, please lead your people toward me. Please let your people, you know, let let the Israelites go so that you can see what happens when a nation worships me instead of 10 or 15 or 100 other idols. It, I think it's the most consistent voice of God throughout, throughout time. And so, yeah, that's the take we're going to take. And so last week we, we spent uh, probably more time than I expected on the first eight verses of chapter 14, but that's all right. We had a good time, and I think it was, you know, it was relatively short in comparison to some of my podcasts, but that, uh, you know, there's no way to get through this next section, you know, without turning that one into a two, uh, you know, closer to an hour and a half, and I think that's a little long, even for the epic narrative. I mean, for one episode anyways. All right, so uh, Pharaoh, it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Well, some say the Lord hardened his heart. As you know, I don't think he hardens anybody's heart. I do think that Moses is writing this account in, as in a, in a historical sense. He's already been through it. He's recounting it. He's writing it down, and he gives God credit for Pharaoh's behavior. He doesn't give Pharaoh the opportunity to choose. 
I don't think that's the proper way to present God, which is why Jesus was sent by the Father to show us what the Father was really like. And God always, slash Jesus, always showed that he wanted people to have the freedom of choice and that they did have the freedom of choice. And he continues to give us freedom of choice. And he's not going to force anyone into any sort of um, diabolical uh, circumstance in order to prove that he is so good and that he will have a reputation down through the ages, which is the reason that Moses gives for God wanting to do this, that he would be, you know, that, that this would be a story that you would tell for generations because of how great and awesome God is. I do think you can talk about the greatness and awesomeness of God, but it's the greatness and awesomeness of God's goodness, not the greatness and awesomeness of God's ability to commit genocide and infanticide and murder everybody. That's not the greatness that God wants. He wants, he's great because he's good. He's great because he's love. He's great because he's full of hope and joy. And somehow a whole bunch of Christians, evangelical, Western church, whatever you want to call us, they just got it in their heads that, man, we need to we need to control the people. And the best way to do that is with a, a terrible God, uh, a, a, a God in which we, we create fear, respect, respect. And it goes all the way back. It, honestly, the mentality goes all the way back, all the way back to here and further. And then and, and Moses is writing the historical account of what occurred, and he, and he knows the people that he's writing to. He's writing to his, his people. He's writing to the Israelites, and he wants them to be reminded over and over again that God is really, really powerful, and he'll kill you if you don't obey. Because he's seen the way that his people respond to life, and he's like, these, these, these people need more help than just God is good. They don't get God is good. They don't understand God is good. The, the idea of a God being good all the time is not an idea of gods that are seen throughout the, the anthropological, anthropological history of mankind. Gods always lose their minds. God always, gods, gods always needed to be appeased and kept happy and they were some of them were terrible slave masters and some were wonderful slave masters and some were were uh you know the comic antidote and and humorous uh subplots to to the terrible masters and some were deceiving little masters who would i mean there's all kinds you go through all kinds of mythologies you can see them all and it's all fine because it's just myths and then when God, Yahweh, shows up, he's like, listen, I, the, I'm good. I'm love. I'm kindness. I'm calling you back to my original creation because that's where I want you to live. People were like, no, we don't know. I don't, I don't think I'm comfortable with that. And they weren't comfortable, comfortable with it mostly because they'd look around them and say, but what about that person? They need to die. What about that person? They shouldn't get good things because you know what they did? Have you, have you seen what they did? I'll tell you what they did. And they just go on with the circumstances and they create a God that looks just like them. And I think a lot of, in a lot of ways, uh, Moses kind of did that. He was like, I, I, I need these people in. I need some discipline in these people's lives. And he, and he presented God that way. There you go. Now, I know some of you may already have shut me off at this point. Going, okay, I just can't take any more adjustments in the way I look at God. But I'm just telling you... It's, it's, that's the way I read this, this stuff. Um, and I think it has to be read because of Jesus, because of Jesus, you have to go back to these passages and say, what does, why did, why did God end up looking like this? And the only way that it, it could occur, I think is with humans, humans filtering what God did and what God said, because 
because because of who they are and because of who they were writing to or communicating with. They they you you, you can't get a revelation of God and not and not be yourself when you receive it. And honestly, I know I do the same thing. I receive a revelation of God, and guess what? God's good all the time because that's that's the way I filter it. I'm just letting you know. I'm not I'm not going to be academically unaware of myself in all of this. I'm not I'm not impartial. I am incredibly partial to the goodness of God. Incredibly partial to the loving to a loving God. It's like you know viewing you know taking your circumstances and having a perspective of God's goodness changes the way that you see things. It just does. And people can say, "Well, you're not looking at it in reality." It's like, "No, I am." You're we. It's my reality, and you look at it in yours. If you want to look at it through a negative reality and, and a God who wants to come kill you and a God that you have to you know satisfy and keep happy all the time, then feel free. That's yours. I'm not going to stop you, but you don't have to. You can view it differently. You know whose whose fault is pain and 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 long term you know issues. So many times it's your fault. If you if you view those same circumstances through the idea of opportunity and and uh, and God's desire to promote you and to bring favor on your life, then you don't view tough circumstances as tough as in oh my gosh I'm such such a victim. You view them and you say it. You see an opportunity for promotion, and suddenly these circumstances are awesome, and you can't wait to go through them. And that's exactly what the Israelites are going to be are going to have that opportunity to do. And Bob, stop laughing. I don't know how I just made that transition, but that was that was a good transition. That was a good transition. Don't you even mess with me, boy. I knew where I was going the whole time. I, you're right. It's not in my notes. I, lit, I was literally winging it. But it is a good transition. The Israelites have an opportunity to look at their circumstances differently than they have before, differently than they did when they were slaves to, you know, to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh's on his way. Did Pharaoh's heart get hardened? Now, this is a different word than burdened, which... Is still translated hardened, so it definitely gives the appearance of the same thing, but it's not. This one is courageous. Pharaoh got courageous. Pharaoh is home. He's been there for several days. His his nation is wiped out. The only thing he's got left is his army uh, to protect the nation. He's got economically, he's devastated. His the you know the wealth of the nation has been crushed uh, by hail. Has been eaten by locusts. His people are, uh, had, you know, have all just recovered from massive amounts of boils, which are incredibly debilitating in the pain that they cause, and and they leave scars behind, and they they are they're dejected and depressed because all the little idols that they worship have been proven to be shown not not as powerful as they claimed that they were, and the priests are trying to recover from these lies that they've been telling people and give excuses as to why the gods uh, didn't didn't protect the Egyptians. And of course, they have to blame it on the Egyptians, and they get more depressed and dejected. So his whole nation is in need of a shot in the arm, and there's nothing like winning a war to get yourself to get your nation back on track to get them all positive and if we if if you've been alive for seemingly 15 minutes you know that nations love to go to war where they can win 
and they'll make up a war to distract their country from the negative stuff that's going on at home. Because, man, if we can just get everybody excited about the war, if we get everybody fired up about victory, then they won't notice that everything else in the in the country is in the, sh- the pot of poop. <laughs> As we would say here in the RV, we'd say it's all in the black tank. But, but that's where it would be. So you distract them with war. So I think the, 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 the nuances of the word hardened, again, are many. If you look up this word, it's got like, I don't know, at least 15 different associations, but it's pretty much all the same thing. Courageous, firm, uh, um, um, strengthened. Basically, Pharaoh's looking around. His, his advisors are like, wow, you know, that was great. Now they're gone. Everything's good. And then they're like, well, actually, everything's kind of bad. Actually, you know what? I'm going to change my vote. Let's let's not let them go. I mean, I, I didn't want to let them go. I, I, I almost wanted to let them go. But then I realized what we needed to do was just win one more victory against their God. If we had just stayed strong... And held the course, their God couldn't have retaliated anymore, and they their God would have would have bent the knee to the great Pharaoh. Or whatever. Whatever their excuses were, Pharaoh strengthened his heart and he finds out where they are. The the position of the Israelites camp was literally uh perfect for for an attack. They couldn't go anywhere. They were all gathered together. So so in their circumstances, this is a perfect opportunity to be overcome by fear. So verse 10, it says, in Pharaoh, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified, and they cried out. Now remember, he took Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen. So he took the fastest aspect, right? People estimate there was probably about 600 of them. It was, it was a huge Number when it comes to uh, that particular time period and the types of armies that they would put to, put together, a six hundred um, person squadron of of chariots was a was it was massive, intimidating. Uh, you you knew you weren't going to recover from from that many uh, horsemen coming at you, and oftentimes the chariots were also begale, be, bejeweled with begaled. I don't. It's not a word. No, don't look it up. Uh, they were covered. They were. They were sometimes modern. What we would consider tanks. Now, not all of them were. But some of them were built for speed. Some of them had you know sharp objects around the wheels or in the wheel wells. Uh, they were. They were uh, lined with uh, weaponry. Some of them were like uh, ammo. Uh, lined up with ammo, such as racks of spears and and arrows, and they didn't necessarily carry the the archers or spearmen with them, but they would carry them into the battlefield and run, you know, travel through the troops at, at high rates of speed and and toss the ammo out so that they could continue to resupply. It was uh, honestly the Egyptians Egyptians were pretty pretty formidable as. Uh, as a, as warriors, so he he takes the best and he goes after them and he overtook them quickly because it doesn't take long when you're when you're riding versus a million people walking and like I said you if you've walked anywhere with more than more than ten people you know that it takes a while you can't 
Uh, I mean, we we had we have four kids, and and us two adults, and we'd stop at a rest area on a journey. I never I in order in order to not lose my mind, I just always planned on tw- a minimum of twenty minutes. You couldn't get in and out of a rest area with six of us in less than twenty minutes. It just it didn't matter. No, it didn't matter. You could say, listen, I want everybody to just go to the bathroom, get back in the car. We got to keep going. You know, we got to get the grandmas for Christmas. Everybody get out and go to the bathroom. When we get back in the car, it's 20 minutes. I don't know why. It's just the way it is. So I imagine a million people, I just multiply that in my head, and I'm thinking, of course he overtook them. It'd be super easy to overtake them. You're riding chariots with trained horsemen and trained warriors. These guys are on fire. They they are they're excited. Now tradition says, tradition says that that uh, f- when they noticed Pharaoh was at breakfast, and they noticed him because the, you know at a million people strong, there's still there there are people that are in the way back, <laughs> kind of keeping an eye on the tail. They they they're they're at some level of security. They know that they kind of need to know who's what's around them. So there's some people that are hanging back, let's say, a couple hours outside of the outside of the camp, and they see off in the distance, and they identify off in the distance this horde of chariots coming their way, and they know exactly who it is. They know it's Pharaoh and his army. And so they, they hop on their donkeys and they ride as fast as they can. They bring in the news right around breakfast. He's on his way. He's on his way. Pharaoh's approaching. Pharaoh's approaching. This is, this is horrifying. And it says they were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. They said, they said Moses. <laughs> Don't you love it? I mean, they, they, they get this word. Remember at the, oh, where was it? It was, yeah, it was the last episode, right? Um, uh, I'm I'm looking at the verses. Look at the verses early on. Tell the early, uh, Israelites, the Israelites are wandering around the land. Uh, harden his heart. No. All right, doesn't matter. Must have been two episodes ago, <laughs> where it says when they left, they were ready for a fight, and the Lord led them away from the land of the Philistines because He didn't want them to fight. Remember that wasn't the goal, but their hearts are ready. Like they're they're fired up. They want to. You know, God is with them. They're excited. They want they want a battle. So they go from that to, oh my gosh, we're going to go to battle. Oh my, like this, exactly what the Lord predicted would happen, happened. Because he knows the hearts and, lo- and lives of his, of his people. He loves them. This wasn't a prediction. It was just a really, really educated guess. Because that's what God does. He knows every possibility. And he looked down and he was like, man, if, if these guys go into battle, they will, they will turn and run so fast. They are not ready. It's not my goal for them to be battle-worn and battle-ready. battle, battle ready. I, I don't want them to run. So as soon as they hear that Pharaoh's coming, they want to run. They're, terif- they're terrified. And, and the word doesn't just come to Pharaoh. It comes through the people. So I'm guessing as, as people were riding into the camp with the information, they were spreading the word. What's wrong? What's wrong? Because you can catch that energy from anybody who's bringing an announcement. You know if they got good news or bad news. And they're like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Pharaoh's coming. Pharaoh's coming. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. We're all going to die. We're all going to look at we're, we're trapped between the mountains and the, and the sea and the, and, the, and the cliffs. And then there's only one way out. And, and, and he's going to block it. And, and he's just going to kill us all. We're all all going to die. And, and when we read in the next verses, right, these questions really represent 
the concepts of many, many questions and accusations that were brought to Moses. It says that they cried to the Lord, but but they basically did it to, to Moses. And they're they're saying to him, listen, we're in the we're, whose idea was it to put us all in one spot? I mean, men are here, and the women are here, and the children are here, and our livestock are here. Like, you didn't even divide us up like anybody with half a brain would have known in order to protect. You separate. You don't all go in one big horde. That's a ridiculous idea. Moses, you know this. You were a general. What kind of general were you in the in the Egyptian army? Clearly, you're an idiot. Any idiot. I mean, you can just, you can just hear this, right? So you got that whole stream going. You got the people that are that are just constantly being a victim, right? They're, oh no, I knew this was gonna. I knew this was gonna. I didn't. Even, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to leave Egypt. This was a stupid idea. I I liked my job. I made really good bricks, and and my bricks they don't ever crush. And and my supervisor liked me. I didn't get whipped very often at all. And I mean, oh man, the the the, the uproar, the murmuring, the the volume of this had to be astronomical. I mean, if you've ever been in a stadium at, a, at a, any sort of uh, um, 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 athletic event, whether it be like a basketball, so you got, what is that, 15, 20,000 seat auditorium, or you've been in a football game with 100,000 people, there's a, there's a constant there's a constant noise of people talking. You, and so that would be normal. So you got the normal constant noise of a million people in conversation, just just this just, uh, this hum that was probably never never over. Even in the middle of the night, if you went for a walk, it'd be quiet, er, but not silent, because every there's always somebody up talking. There's a baby crying. There's a dog barking. Oh, by the way, we we just got our little puppy. At the time of this recording, our puppy's like two weeks old. No, sorry, two weeks old. He's 10, 10 weeks old. Sorry, 11. He's 11. Anyways, he's just a little guy. He's adorable. His name's Zacapa. We call him Cappy or Zappy or something along that line. He's just the best. He's a little doxy. We like doxies, and he fits really, doxy, you know, they fit really well in an RV when you're living in 300 square feet. So here we are with our little doxy having a good time. So anyways, I, I know that's, that has really nothing to do with this, this story other than to say there's always noise in a crowd this big. So people start getting bad news. The bad news travels fast. And, and, and the uproar, the, the sheer volume of this, these people in conversation and shouting and starting, like once you have news and you, you don't think your neighbor does, like you're yelling it. Like, of course, well, you haven't heard? You haven't heard, oh, I heard, oh, I heard it right from the guy who saw it. I know exactly what's going on. And then you got those guys, right, who suddenly have no position for authority or wisdom, but they sure as heck ain't going to talk like that, right? They're going to talk like they they knew this from the beginning. They predicted this to their friends. They were, they were 100% right, and now everybody's going to die. Doom and gloom. They make, they, <laughs> no, Bob, I was going to make all kinds of comments, jokes about newscasters, but I'm not going to. All right. So, so this would have taken basically all morning, all morning. This, this conversation, we'll call it, went on with accusations and, and attacks on Moses, his planning, Moses and his character, God and his plan, God and his direction, the 
Then remember, the pillar of cloud, uh, fire is still up, or no, it'd be a cloud during the day. Pillar of cloud is still up, so they're they're yelling at that, thinking God's in there, and evidently there's an angel that's leading them, and he's hearing all of this. Like there's a lot of fear, and fear. Oh man, when the enemy, when the when you're in fear, the enemy just feeds. It's a frenzy. It's a feeding fear, fear feeding frenzy. The enemy can't wait for more fear. He just stokes the fire. Why? Because he's not happy until you're dead. So he's got them afraid. Oh man. And their 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 last kind of concept that they threw out there is it it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. Our life actually wasn't as bad as death. It was close, but Still not as bad. Now, granted, they haven't had to work probably for about a month, maybe two at this point. They've been free for several days, and suddenly, with the with the the, uh, the unconditional truth that they're about to die, everything back in Egypt seems a little nicer than their current circumstances, which is always a victim mentality. The victim, the victim will tell you how great it was before. Before the current circumstances were, you know, now now life is really bad. But it wasn't really bad. It was just a little bad. Now it's really bad. And and then, you know, but back in the past, you know, the circumstances they're referring to is not really bad. Well, that was the worst. And, you know, they just, it, whatever they're in is the worst. So all this gets to Moses. And, and it says... Uh, <laughs> it says that, yeah, life as a slave is still better than death. At least, you know, there, it was worry-free, right? And I'm guessing they came after Moses with some level of your leadership has always been questioned. As a matter of fact, let's remember the first time you tried to talk to Pharaoh. What did we tell you? We told you to leave us alone because you only make things worse. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. You made things worse. Just like maybe you should turn yourself in. Maybe you should go meet Pharaoh and and die in our place and we'll all go and we'll serve, you know, without question. We just want to go back to the way it was. And then maybe some people even brought up his past and said, you know, I don't think you ran away from Egypt. I think they shipped you away because you're just a horrible leader. And you should be you should be in exile. You should go back to wherever it was you came from and you claim you're married and you have a couple kids, well, well, fine, whatever. Maybe that's not, you know, what the real story is. We don't really know that much about you, Moses. You've been gone for 40 years. Maybe you've lost a few steps. Maybe you don't have the memory you used to have. Now, Moses' Moses's response to the people was, don't be afraid, stand firm. That same word, harden your heart. And you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Fascinating to me. The Lord doesn't say, even, even here, Moses isn't, he doesn't say, I am going to kill everyone. No need to worry I will kill all the Egyptians. That's that's not what's there. It's what we put there because we know the end of the story, or it's what we put there because we know 
we know that that's what God loves to do is kill people. So we're all excited. Stand firm. The Lord will fight for you today. He's going to kill everyone. All your opponents will, will come to their death. It's, it's, uh, it's an interesting little tidbit, right, that many times preachers and us who read it, <clears throat> we put that information in there. It's not there. Stand firm. You will see what the, the deliverance. You only need to be still. Once again, God says you don't need to fight. I'm not here to kill everybody. I can deliver you. It's, it's a fascinating deal. Let's walk this through. Let's walk this through. But I know some of you are like, wait, Bob, you're messing with my story. You're messing with the story. That's not what I colored pictures of when I was in Sunday school. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Trust me. I mess with my story too. So he's like, listen, be at peace. That's be still, right? Be at peace. Remember who's fighting for you. This army you will never see again. God has no need or limitation by our earthly circumstances. What we see as a trap, God doesn't, it, it's irrelevant to God. Irrelevant. Our perspectives are not his perspectives. He, he will give us his perspective if we ask him for it. And I think in this moment, Moses sees his, <clears throat> God's perspective. He's like, hey, I, I know the God, I know the God that called us out of Egypt. And I'm, you know, I think you guys do too. You guys have seen what he can do. I don't think I don't think this is a circumstance in which we need to tremble in fear that we need to worry about. He's 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 protecting us. He protected us before. I mean, remember that? It made no sense. The rest of Egypt was supernaturally dark for three days and we had light. I mean, can you explain that? I can't explain that. Everybody's, you know, firstborn dies, but ours doesn't because there's blood on the door. Like, I, I can't explain all that. I can't. So Moses goes to God. He's like, hey, God, what's your plan? And, Mo, and God says to Moses, I'll, what, what, why are you crying to me? Why are you, why are you coming to me? Do something. I, I love this, right? God has such amazing grace. He has such mm, confidence in our true identity that he's like, I will back you. I will back you. Make a decision. I'll back you. Now, again, he wants Moses to make a decision that, that he would make, but he's willing to back Moses on any decision that Moses makes. So, he's like, uh, I, I, you know, if you want, you can raise your staff up and stretch it out over the sea and divide the water so that you guys can go through on dry ground. I mean, you know, that's something. It's, it's interesting, right? It's an interesting plan. Now, Moses was good with the plan because he trusted God. Now it says here that uh, you know he he says I will I will harden the heart of the Egyptians that they will go after the again that word harden is courageous they're gonna they're gonna get excited they're gonna get fired up when they see what's going on they're just gonna think that they can kill you all but don't worry uh, I again will gain glory through Pharaoh's decision and his army because that's what. 
I know I have a I have a pretty good odds of what he's going to choose to do. But either way, listen, this is true either way. If Pharaoh turns his army around, God gets the glory. If Pharaoh follows after um, the Israelites and tries to kill them all, God says, I'm still going to get the glory. Good things are going to happen because I'm good. And, and you and I are working together, Moses. So uh, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And I will gain get glory through Pharaoh and his chariots. Then it says the angel of God who had been tra traveling in the front of the Israelites, is, is, Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved in the from the front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel throughout the night. The cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other, so neither went near each other all night long. So let's get this, this, this is a great visual. So Israel evidently still had an, what we'll call an army. They were, they were, you know, probably mostly Levites because they, they weren't in slave labor and uh, they've been known to do battle before. So they, they have for themselves some form of, of an army. Maybe let's, let's just say it's a thousand people. I don't know. And they're out front. But the angel who leads that army says, how about, how about we, we're going to go to the back. So they go to the back. The angel goes to the back. And then the cloud that was in the front also moves to the back. So this cloud comes over to the back and it says that it drops down behind them, separating the army of Pharaoh from the Israelites. And the Israelites are now trapped, in essence, between a cloud that's light or fire on their side and it's darkness on the other side. This is, uh, as best we can tell, this, again, this took all day. All these arguments and conversations all took all day. So now it's nighttime. So the Israelites have, have warm light and flame on their side of the wall. Moses stretches out his hand. And it says, uh, the, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. So the east wind would have come along the, the wall of flame, picked up a bunch of heat, and then dried the land as the water parted. On the other side, it says that neither went near each other all night long. There would have been, you know, there would have been, we'll call them courageous, but sometimes they're just crazy people on, on the Israelite side. <laughs> Who would have wanted to take on the you know the Egyptians? They they were just so angry at the years of slavery that they would have they would have died fighting, right? There's always that there, there's always people with that kind of courage. They just they will die fighting. They just they just will. And so there were, I'm sure a few of them. But nobody was willing to run through a wall of flame to get to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians on the other side saw this wall of supernatural darkness. And they didn't know what what to make of it. I'm sure they I'm sure they tried to go around it. I'm sure maybe a couple tried to go through it, didn't didn't make it. They sat there all night, maybe thinking when the sun comes up, everything will open up and we'll be able to get through. They they assumed, as any normal person would, the Israelites would still be there in the morning. Because who wouldn't assume that? They're not gonna they don't have any boats. They're not gonna float across the sea. 
And this is where, again, if they were in two inches of water, Egypt probably would have run the whole army right through that cloud because they would have thought they're going to get away. They're on the short end of the sea here, but they, they, they're, they're going to be gone by morning. But they didn't. They sat on the other side of that, that cloud all night long, and the warm air from the fire dried up the land, and everybody started running across the sea. Now, what did the sea look like? Did it look like a wall, two walls of water? Maybe. It, it could have. It could have. And, and trust, I mean, honestly, some of, those, some of those scenes that people have done, right, are just phenomenal. There was one uh, more recent one. What was it? Was it called Moses? And, uh, I mean, it was, mm, you know, uh, it was artistic in its approach to scripture, <laughs> but the scene is always amazing when you see the parting of the sea. And of course you got Charleston Heston. <laughs> I remembered his name. I remembered his name. I know it drove somebody probably crazy at one of those episodes where I couldn't remember his name. Charleston Heston from the original movie, the Exodus, the original movie. <laughs> yeah. Like the one taken, you know, when Moses was doing this, uh, you know, he with that parting of the Red Sea, like that was that was so crazy. I think it it won uh, an Oscar. Like people went over and over and over again because they just didn't imagine what it would look like. And you know, two walls of water are pretty spectacular, and it definitely could have looked like that. It could have just looked like one. I mean, not to be not to be rude or anything, but it, you he could have just stopped the water from on you know on one side and let it kind of flow out. On the other, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But we'll make it two, two walls of water because that's spectacular. And while God's, in, you know, definitely intimidating the army of, the, of Pharaoh, he blesses his people with light and warmth in the desert night. And, and it had to be this crazy scene. Where, where Moses stretches out his hand and uh, his staff and the water parts. And on verse 23, it says the Egyptians pursued them. So after everybody gets through, everybody gets through on dry land. The water on their right and their left. Spectacular. I don't know how tall this stuff was. I don't know. Spectacular, though. Uh, I know it is cute to think somebody like running their fingers along. You know, some kids were running their fingers along the edge of the water, and some parents were like, "Don't do that! You'll, you know, it'll leak." It had to be pretty fun, and you know, when you're at the bottom of a sea, of course, it's mostly all sand anyway down there. But, but you know, you would see things. Certain things would be there uh, that you would never have seen before, and I'm sure, I'm sure some people saw fish. Different size fish, different colored fish. It had to be kind of like walking through an aquarium, but you know, not quite with the lighting that we're used to. But anyways, it had to be amazing to walk through this all night long to get everybody to get everybody through and not have them stop halfway through and take a look because because it, it for many people it had to be mesmerizing to be stuck in this water like that. But they're working their way through and and when. They had finished, the wall of cloud lifts, the wall of fire lifts, and it doesn't go anywhere right away. I believe it's, it's hovering, and I'll tell you why later, but it, it's hovering there, and it says the Egyptian decided to go after him. Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And this is why I think it hovered over the top of Pharaoh's army. 
because it says during the last watch of the night, so this would have been between probably right around six in the morning. It says the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire in the cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion, jammed the wheels of the chariot so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them and against Egypt. This is spectacular because that phrase, the Lord uh, looked out, looked down from the pillar of fire, is literally the, the, the nuance of leaning out of a window. So you have this pillar of fire and cloud that raises up and is, is coming alongside or, or over the top of Pharaoh's army as they're starting to pursue the Israelites into this walled cavern of, of ocean water. And it says he basically, he leaned out and he, and he scares them. He literally scares them. He, that's what the means, throws them into, into confusion. He, he startles them to the point of, they're like, wait a minute. It's, I don't know, maybe it looked like that face from the mummy of sand when it, when the, you know, when the sandstorm's coming and he's like, I kind of picture that the Lord leans out of the pillar of fire and he just, it freaks out the Egyptians, which makes perfect sense. they, They are thrown into confusion. Their wheels start to jam up. They're running into each other. They're jamming up against each other. Chariots for all of the, intimidation of them they were very uh you know they were there wasn't a lot of flexibility right they had to kind of always go in a straight line you start making too tight of a turn on a chariot you will roll that that bad boy and it could get ugly or if you get too close to another chariot and then the swords on your chariot start bumping up against theirs it's like throwing you know sticks into someone's spokes in a wheel like the chariots start flipping over they start uh turning over uh, which is kind of the same thing, but I was thinking of it in two different ways. All of this confusion is going on. Can I just make a note here? When the Lord leans out of the out of the out of the pillar of fire and cloud, He doesn't cause death. He's 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 causing confusion. He's He's causing them to turn and go back because he, they see the Lord. They're like the Lord is fighting for them. Let's turn. And go back. So many of us really don't want to read that verse because we really want God to kill our enemies. I understand that. I do. It's a it's a very internal response to bad things that are happening to us. And we want to blame. We want to be the victim. And we think the best way to not be the victim is to have God kill the people that are making us feel that way. Oh. So he leans out the window. He causes confusion. The ranks are broken. Pharaoh refuses to turn back. This is, this is what the Lord says to Moses. He says, if, I put the word if there, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. I believe he's showing Moses what will happen if he, if he closes the gap, because Moses knows, 
I stretched out my staff and split the sea. I stretch out my staff. I can close the sea. He's looking at the Egyptians following him, and God's like, listen, if you do this, they're all going to die. What did God do? God caused confusion, caused them to turn around, break ranks, turn around, head back. He's like, Moses, if you pull down the sea now, they're going to die. And Moses is like, all right, <laughs> I'll do it. I think Moses had a choice. He could have went to God and said, okay, if I don't want to kill him, what's my best option? God, I think, tried with the fire all night long and the confusion of the sea to turn the army back. I think I think the wall of cloud and fire was there not only to protect the Israelites, but to, but to encourage the Pharaoh and his army to leave. They didn't. I think him leaning out of the window, so to speak, or, or leaning out of the cloud and showing them his face and causing confusion and the breaking of ranks was God's way of saying, listen, turn back. Because if Moses, if Moses wants to, he can crush you all. But it says in verse 30, right, the waters flowed, well, verse 28, the waters flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of the Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through on dry ground and the wall of water on their right and on their left. And, the, and that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses. So in all of this, and I know I know for some of you it's, it's very, very difficult to imagine that God wanted the Egyptians to live, but I don't, I don't think death is ever God's plan. He doesn't need it to accomplish his will. He doesn't need it to accomplish his goal of seeing the whole world come to him. He doesn't need fear. He doesn't need intimidation. He doesn't need to take on the, the characteristics of the enemy in order to defeat the enemy. Because anytime you take on the characteristics of the enemy, you feed the enemy. You actually make the enemy stronger. God knows this. So he's not going to work in those tactics. But but Moses is trained in those tactics. He's still as wonderful of a man as Moses is and as great of a leader that he is. He is not uh, fully untangled from, from his past. And he sees an opportunity to bring the final blow against the Egyptians, and he does it. God doesn't discipline. He doesn't. Oh, discipline, well, that's another whole word. God God backs him. He backs us. He puts the power of life and death in our tongue. He literally allows us to call forth curses and destroy the very things that he loves because he he's constantly trying to tell us, I trust you to represent me. And when we do stuff that don't represent him, he, he doesn't look at it like, okay, now I got to crush you, otherwise... Right? That's not freedom of choice. That's that's intimidation of fear. He sees it as, all right, we're gonna to have to continue walking together. So Moses stretched forth his, his arm and all these and the army dies. Interestingly, that they the the Hebrews, the Israelites, they see the bodies of the Egyptians on the seashore in that moment. If you've ever if you've ever studied things about drowning, people who drown don't float right away. It takes several days, and you know the physicality of that. You can look up, but 
But that's why when somebody drowns, they drag for them. They go out in boats and they they drag the the bottom of the of the lake or the pond or the river or the or the ocean. The the divers go looking for them because the drowning victims sink. So I don't know why, but we're talking about an army, which probably means they have armor, but they're literally floating at this point. Which is, it's, it's, I don't know why. It's just one of those verses that I look at and say, okay, Lord, in your mercy, did, did you know, uh, what happened? What happened? I don't know. It's an opportunity for you to interact with Scripture. Have fun with it. All right, let's just finish this up. Uh, let's see. Uh, not realizing uh, that uh, Israel put their trust in Moses and God. They're still expecting kind of a king. They're still expecting to be led by a celebrity. They still are living in this mindset of a hierarchy. I don't think they're realizing that God's calling is for them to be a community for them to come together to show the world what heaven looks like to show the world what a what a kingdom family operates like well how they interact with their god versus how everyone else does i believe that abraham was starting to develop that i believe jacob was was trying to as bad as a father as jacob was i think joseph understood what he was supposed to be doing with his family but somehow they had lost all of that momentum when they didn't leave Egypt. And they began to fall into the same culture of Egypt in that they expected a king and they put their trust. They feared the Lord, so they respected the Lord, they honored the Lord, but they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. They, they looked at this as a hierarchy. God's way up top. Moses Moses is his high priest. Moses is the one we need to listen to. And so many times, right, we take what God meant for us to do and we turn it into something that we're comfortable with. And I think we're going to see that even more so as we go on in this story. But we will continue the story next week on The Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Thank you so much, Anna. We appreciate your amazing voice. I do love her voice. I mean, I am her father, but it's true. She's, I just, she's an awesome young lady. Wonderful mom, amazing wife. God bless you, Anna. Uh, yeah, Bob thoughts on the way. So, <laughs> I don't know, parting of the Red Sea, right? It's just, it's just an amazing story. And some say too amazing. I, I know that. Some say it's, you know, legend. It's, it's a lie. It's perpetrated to just prop God up and make him look a, more amazing than he really is. Uh, to, you know, that, that, Worshippers of idols do that all the time. They come up with legends and stories that that prop up their gods. And I, 
you know, academically, I have to recognize that. And, and, uh, but I, this is, this is where faith comes in. Like I, I do, I know there are books about the scientific evidence and the, uh, uh, logistical and archaeological evidence that point to the truth of God and, and the Word of God. I'm not taking away from that. But at some point, you also have to just say, listen, I take it by faith. There is a, there is a strength of faith in me that says the Bible's true. And we can, we can discuss it, and we can academically break it down, and we can, we can do all of that. And we can do it in good faith, and we can do it as good friends, and we don't have to always come down to a place of agreement. Because at some point, it comes down to faith. Do I believe the Bible is the Word of God? And the answer is yes, I do. And and does that mean that I believe that, do I believe everything I've ever read about the Bible is true? That answer would be no. <laughs> Because, but I do remember there was a time where I did believe that I did like everything I read. I believed was the like oh this person like I can name you some of the authors uh, you know that formed my faith early in my in my life and and I just thought that they what they wrote was the Bible pretty much like they you know I remember even even some translations of the Bible were often taught and presented as though it really, really was the actual writings of God. And the reality is that just, that just can't be true. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, it just can't be true. And I don't mean to upset any of you who are passionate about a particular version of the Bible, a translation of the Bible, but you know, if you've done any listening to me and the epic narrative, you know that we... Um, we take a pretty broad, broad brush uh, approach. We we incorporate a lot of what's been written because I believe it's all uh, opportunity for us to internally dialogue, uh, personally do more study, and then also to have external dialogue. And I've had that with with uh, several of you that uh, that know me and have. Uh, reached out to me, and then there's those who actually have found me on the road. Thank you very much, John and Beverly. Uh, they, <laughs> they came and saw us. They just happened to be in the same area we were in our, where our RV was parked, and they were like, we've got to see you, and they did, and that was awesome. So, yeah, let's keep talking, and let's keep growing in our faith. Let's keep, uh, let's, let's not just take somebody else's word for it. Like, like do your own research, um, your own discovery, and then be willing to dialogue about it and, and be wrong about it. I, I get, I do get interactions with people who often have friends or spouses that don't allow for conversation in their theologies because they've, in my opinion, they feel threatened. I, I think if you, if you have really uh, strong faith, you don't mind being questioned, because you know in the end you're you're going to be fine, or potentially you're going to discover something that you really can weigh in on and consider, and possibly adjust something that you believe. But you don't feel threatened. 
when that happens, if you have good faith. I think those who, not those, uh, many who argue, not, I wouldn't say not defend apologetically, but those who argue their faith, uh, I think a lot of times just feel threatened. And if you don't believe the exact same thing that they do, if you don't read the exact same scholars that they do, then you are a threat because all of their Christianity, all of their, all of their religious tenets depend on everyone agreeing and they just can't, they can't abide, they can't even have a dialogue. I saw somebody, <laughs> I am a part of these groups on Facebook just because I think it's important for me to know uh, what people are saying uh, and how they present. And there was one guy who was like, he, he presented it as a question. He was like, this, uh, this is up for, uh, I'd like to have a discussion on this topic. And he presents the topic and then he ends that with this sentence. He said, I I have scripture to, to back up what I believe. And, and he left it at that. And I thought, wow, what, that's, then what you're saying is this. I would like to have this discussion. But what I believe is right because I have, I have God on my side. You, you, guys, you guys can give me your opinions, but I have God on my side. Like you can't have a debate. If you're gonna th- pull the you know the God card out, just be like, well, God agrees with me. So, and that gets into the whole idea of God killing people, right? If God agrees with with me, then He kills everybody who is an enemy of Him, and that's something, as you know, we discuss at length here on the Epic Narrative, and actually ties back to our episode today, because a lot of people, a lot of people have taught and and. And just a lot of people have received teachings that just said, you know, God killed the Egyptians because they deserved it, because of the way that they treated his children. And, uh, well, if you, <laughs> if you uh, have gotten this far in the episode, you know that we don't agree with that. Because, because of our, our research and our interactions and what we have debated, and we will continue to debate debate and we will continue to look at because we go further in the book of Exodus starting next week on the epic narrative thanks for hanging out with us if you'd like to support what we do there are opportunities portals for giving available in the description uh, of this episode as well as on our website thebobswitzer.com you can also email any support if you don't like giving through a nonprofit which I understand I do, uh, you can just give directly. Uh, you can email me at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. Anyways, hope you guys are having a great day. Look forward to talking to you again next week uh, on the Epic Dirty. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.